0: I want to talk about several different things that's on my mind, but mainly I'm going to talk about Saifedeen's recent interview uh, with a Islamic guy. I guess he's an Islamic economist, and he, um, this was a good, it it was a good conversation in that, um, you know, Saifedeen had somebody on the show, maybe that perhaps he didn't quite agree with um, as far as interest rates um, um. or at least lending being uh, morally wrong. I would say he didn't really agree with that. But he did try to explore some ideas. I'd call it exploring ideas. Where he tries to come up with a way um, to, to arrive at the same conclusion as the Islamic guy. And I, I do apologize. I think his name was Tarek. Um, but I can't pronounce the other part of his name. But he, he, he comes up with an economic argument. Um, and I'm not sure how sound this argument is for him, you know, if he was just sort of thinking off the top of his head, but he comes up with a way to try to explain, um, how you could arrive sort of at no interest rates, um, by having a sound money that he thinks sound money might, uh, lower interest rates naturally. Um, and then that Eventually, uh, the cost of, say, lending, perhaps, right, or just where these interest rates come from, the cost of lending would be um, would, uh, would be low, right? So low that it, it is less than the cost of storing. So something like this. So some, some argument about the cost for storing your money is, is ultimately going to be lower and the cost of lending it. Uh, So so that's how Saifedean sort of arrives at this argument he explains and how you could possibly have, you know, 0% interest rates or very low through just natural economic forces. Um, And I had a hard time really understanding exactly how this would happen. Um, uh, And, you know, in this interview, the Islamic guy was trying to say it's morally wrong, I think, cause it, you know, he's coming from this religious, um, angle where he thinks that, um, interest rates are, are bad, right? It's, it's, it's morally wrong to charge people for money. And in the beginning, they got into this, this whole time preference, um, time value of money, you know, and, and Seyfedeen said, this is the basis for the Austrian school, um, that basically, uh, Everything being equal, people will prefer dollars today versus dollars in the future. So everything being equal, right? And um, the Islamic guy, I don't think he did a very good job refuting this. He was saying that there's, there's, that's sort of untrue and that we could think of scenarios where people want to delay their consumption. So he was talking about cereal, like eating cereal. You could have 10 bowls of cereal today. Or you could stretch that out over 10 days. And, you know, most people would say, I don't want 10 bowls of cereal today. I want them stretched out. But that's not, you're not really comparing the same thing. You're twisting the context a little bit. Um, So we're not talking about, you know, vacations in the future. He alluded to this. So would you rather take time off now? Or would you rather spread it out through the year? We're not talking about that because that's a very specific Um, case we're talking about, would you rather have a dollar today or a dollar in 10 years, everything else, you know, being equal and say, if a Dean correctly pointed out here, um, that, you know, um, that, uh, the, well, one of the reasons why is because there's risk, right? We might not be alive in 10 years, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but yeah, so this is the time value of money. Now I understand this concept, like, as a, you know, in general, like not on a deep, deep level, but I understand this concept for sure. Uh, What I don't really understand is this idea of, the Bitcoiners like to use this phrase a lot. And it's this phrase of low time preference, high time preference. And I'm pretty sure the low time preference means that you, um, you know, they don't really explain this very well, but I think it means to them, you're saving in Bitcoin. You're not spending money right now. You're trying to save because you're looking forward to the future. Um, So to me, it mainly means savings. Now, I could be wrong. I don't know what it means to them, but I think it means savings. Um, So when they say you're when they always say something like, oh, when we converted our friend to become a Bitcoiner, he immediately stopped going out at night, you know, stopped spending money on frivolous things, maybe like going out to the bar or whatever. And he started saving his money, started stacking sacks. Or he at least started saving. He was looking forward to the future. He started getting healthy. You know, he started eating better. Like there's there's all of these um these pieces of um it's not really evidence, but it it's just it it, it, it tells me how they think about this. Like, there's pieces of what they say that, that helps explain this concept, at least as far as I think they uh, would explain it. And and that is that um, you should be saving and you should be looking forward to the future. And you should not be wasting your money on um, consumption uh, items, right? Now, some take this a little far. Like, um, some take this really far, I think, where they don't buy, like, things that they need to live, you know, to, to live a comfortable life. Like, they don't want to buy a car. Or they don't want to buy a couch even, you know, I've heard of, heard of Peter Schiff's son on his podcast. Peter was talking about his son, uh, refused to buy a couch, even though he, he had the money, he was putting everything he had into, uh, into Bitcoin. And, um, so you can take this to an extreme. So, you know, you know how people say, well, if you, if you buy a car, it's not investment, you should buy just what you need. Um, so there is people that will will not buy what they really really want. Maybe it's like a fifty thousand dollars car. Maybe they buy a used car for 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 ten thousand or something. Um, that's being savvy, I think, because a car is not an investment, right? It's a depreciating asset. But some people will take it even further, and they won't even buy a car, even though they their time is spent, you know, on the bus all the time, or just, you know, maybe um, they maybe they end up paying more in rides, you know, Uber or whatever. But they just. They make their lives a little bit harder, I think, than, um, than probably they should. Um, you know, and should is relative, for sure. Uh, should is definitely relative. But I'm just making the case that... I'm making the case, trying to make the case that some people um, take it to an extreme level. So, in my opinion, uh, the Bitcoin argument of, like, low, high time preference... Is the idea that um, that they want to save, and they want to save in something that doesn't depreciate. Sorry, that doesn't um, lose its purchasing power in theory. So, what they don't, what they think that happens with the dollar is that uh, people are disincentivized to uh, to hold to it, to save it. Uh, but why? Because um, because it's there's all this inflation. Your purchasing power is being you know ate at. You're not able to. If you if you just store dollars, you're um, you're basically going to lose in the long run. So what happens is consumption is brought forward, right? Consumption that might have later happened uh, in, an, in an inflationary uh, monetary system happens further into the future, and 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 then debtors also are able to take advantage of getting you know money that that they'll be paying back later in the future uh, with depreciated. Uh, dollars because, because the the dollars that they have to pay back in the future, the loan or whatever, they're going to be worth less in the future when they have to get them to pay them back to the lender. So, uh, Saifedean and the Bitcoiners are correct to point out this fact that this fact is, um, uh, you know, is bad, you know, and I totally agree with them, um, with the caveat that, you know, what's going on right now, what's going on right now is that, um, is that money is being created out of thin air. So that is, that is the inflationary aspect here. We have inflation, new money being created and it's created out of thin air and this money isn't backed by anything. Um, so the Bitcoiners think, well, if we create money out of thin air, call it Bitcoin, because Bitcoin basically is virtually nothing. Yes, I get that you, you're spinning proof of work. That doesn't actually give value you're not actually storing anything in there. There's no energy stored in Bitcoin even though some people say that say there is. Uh, that's just not true. Um, so what you are doing is you're creating money out of thin air just like just like the government when they create dollars today. But the Bitcoiners say, well we have a limit on our printer. Our printer is only going to go up to 21 million, you know. So so you should um, you should treat that as a hard money, right? Where we know that The Bitcoin can only go to 21 million, and if we know that Bitcoin can only go to 21 million, um, then we should be able to um, then we should be able to to say that that our money is is harder, and that that people will want to save in it, uh, and and uh, they won't they won't feel like their purchasing power um, is being lost whenever they save in this thing called Bitcoin. Uh, supposedly the only reason why, in my opinion, is because they think it's scarce. They think that it's only going to be 21 million, which none of these rules are written in stone to me. This is just code. It could be changed. Now it's, I realize it would be very difficult to change, but the fact remains that it could still be changed. Um, and, uh, you know, they always forget about the demand side on the Bitcoin. On the Bitcoiners always forget, well, you know, there's, there's, they they just assume demand will be there. They just assume this is that they've created the perfect asset called bitcoin and that, that people will demand this thing. Because you could have something that's scarce that's basically nobody wants, right? Nobody wants my drawings cuz I'm not an artist. Uh but I can only make a few of them. But that doesn't mean they're scarce. Um sorry that that, that makes that makes them scarce, it doesn't make them valuable, right? It doesn't make it doesn't provide any demand. So where does this demand come from? In my opinion, it comes from fraud and lies about what Bitcoin is. Um, and I'll, I'll segue real quick to my next topic. And then I'll come back to this, to this main topic I want to spend time on, which is what do the Bitcoiners mean when they say low time preference? And does it make sense? But first of all, I'll go to my, my real quick. I'll just make a comment that um, I think the demand for Bitcoin is supplied By all the lies about what bitcoin is and you know some people might think lie is a harsh term but it really is um, a misrepresentation it's a wish if you want to say that it's a wish that that bitcoin could be money it's a wish that it could be the store of value it's this wish that people demand like people actually were adopting it and using it in exchanges and transactions and and this wish that it could be the unit of account this wish that it could go up in price to $1 million, this wish that it could go up to price to $1 million and then somehow stabilize, right? So they want it to be uh, somewhat stable. Um, so all of these things are wishes without any kind of evidence to supporting, you know, either their claims for the future or, you know, even their claims for today. Some people claim that Bitcoin is money today. Um, I don't think that's true. And I think it's a con. I think it's a con because all of these statements are used to support the idea that people should be buying Bitcoin and adopting Bitcoin, with no evidence and no proof that any of these things are going to come true, just, just it's just a wish that these Bitcoiners have. And I I want to compare them to the climate catastrophists who who think that you no, know, there's been um, lots of um, prominent people uh, for the past forty years um, that have been saying you know we're going to have famine, we're going to have too many people in this world. We're going to, the climate is going to change on us and we're going you know, to global warming. We're going to die. We're going, never, there's going to be massive deaths. There's going to be massive weather events. Um, the world is going to keep warming to, I don't know what they say, but they, they made these outrageous claims and come true. They've made all of this money off these claims they've gotten you know huge rewards. look at Al Gore, you know there was something something in the news about his three hundred million dollar home uh basically he's he's gotten all this wealth through you know his movie Inconvenient Truth. I remember when that came out i was um i don't know how old I was. I think I was a kid uh I don't know when it came out but uh he he uh he's gotten rich off all of this. All of of this um, climate catastrophism, this idea that we need to move off fossil fuels, that we need to go to net zero, right? That we can't produce any CO2, um, that we need to go completely renewable. Um, And back then, I don't know how much of of the talk was about, you know, the solution, right, to go renewable and to go green. I think they were just at that point talking about, um, well, they were talking about, I think, eliminating fossil fuels. But, um, but they were also talking about like peak oil, these, these types of things that it was just around the corner, but then what happened? I mean, we had, we had the whole fracking industry, uh, develop, right. And we, yes. Um, I believe, I believe that that fracking is only viable if, if oil is very expensive, but what did we do when oil was expensive? We came up with the new technology we innovated, right. And we solved the problem. Um, and you know, I think that there was an overinvestment in that industry. Probably there was, there was, I think I've heard some, some fraud that happened in, in fracking as far as like overinvestment into the, into the fracking industry at the time, meaning um, either, either interest rates were too cheap and, and, and it, maybe oil was expensive at the time. And so this encouraged um, a lot of investment. Whenever you have low interest rates, artificially low interest rates, um, this encourages a misallocation of resources. But I just want to comment really on the fact that the climate narrative thinking, the catastrophism, um, that, that the world is going to end and that we have to get off fossil fuels is, um, there's, there's no evidence to support this and the evidence, uh, it hasn't come true, right? It hasn't come true over 40 years. And, um, the climate, the climate stuff is a little bit different because, um, you like to think of the, the bigger framework and pros and cons of using fossil fuels and the probability of something coming true or not. And then like the evidence for that. Um, but if, you know, of course man is affecting the climate, uh, we interact with nature. So it's a, it's, it's a little bit different, you know, I'm, it's not apples to apples comparison, but I'm saying that the part of the thinking on the climate side, um, is is just wishful thinking. It's 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 not based in reality. It's magical thinking that we're just we're just all going to to die from from overuse of fossil fuels and that we need to return as much as we can back to nature. That nature, untouched nature, is good, and that humans are terrible. And this idea that humans are the problem, right? All of this is a weird type of framework that the environmentalists use. Um, Some people have compared it to a religion. Uh, I think that the the idea, if you think that nature is pristine, if you think the idea that nature, we need to go back to like untouched nature, we need to have as as limited a footprint as we can on the world, that is, in my opinion, a a religious view. Um, And most of the climate thinking stems from that idea, uh, really. And that's not, I don't think it's an extreme. I think that most people, if they get down to it, um, if they want us to be, have as little uh, footprint as possible, they sort of are are worshiping nature. So this is magical thinking, or right? this is just, this isn't based in reality. Now, how would I compare this to Bitcoiners? Well, again, it doesn't fit exactly, but um, I would just point to this magical idea that they're going to have a Bitcoin, they call it hyper-Bitcoinization, they call it hyper-Bitcoinization they say, um, you know, they, they basically say um, we're going to have hyper Bitcoinization and we're going to uh, basically have a Bitcoin world. Right. Where everybody's saving in Bitcoin. Things are priced in Bitcoin. Um, everyone's using Bitcoin. I guess Bitcoin is going to be used as money uh, for real this time in the future. And there's no evidence to support that any of these claims are going to be true. That Bitcoin is going to go up to a million and then somehow it's going to stabilize. To me, this is all magical thinking. Just, I wish it to be so thinking um, that I see happening a lot just with, with the climate people. But I don't want to spend a lot of time on that. I want to go back to this idea of, you know, what is low time preference? Why do the Bitcoiners always talk about this versus high time preference? And I already mentioned that, uh, I think it has to do with savings. I think that they, they correctly point out that, that while the dollar is being, um, inflated, that while purchasing power is going down in the dollar, uh, that doesn't encourage, um, savings in the dollar. Um, so what we, what we have is when we have low interest, sorry, when we have low interest rates that's less than the rate of inflation, right? Then we are discouraged from, um, saving. And in a traditional economy, actually in the economy still today, I'd argue, savings is what helps an economy grow. You have to have savings, and I'm actually going to make a caveat here. You actually have to have real savings. What is a real saving? What's real saving? Think of it like this. Think of it like um, some people are innovative, right? They go and they want to go get a loan to build a business, well these people still have to eat right so what they do is they're able to someone wants to invest in them because they believe in what they're going to do they believe they can either make money right they believe when, uh, that what they're doing is 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 um going to generate wealth let's just say right and they're going to get a piece back of this business or they're going to get their money repaid right if they're making a loan they hope to get repaid with interest so you're making a loan to someone what does that mean? This, that means that this person who's not being productive, who's not being able to provide for themselves currently because they're, they're innovating, right? They're working on an idea. They're working on, uh, they're drawing up the, the plans, right? But they still have to eat and they still need like food and shelter. So what they do is they, they are able to borrow somebody else's savings, somebody else's extra produce, you know, extra production, right? That they, they're setting aside, right? They're setting aside, and they're saying, well, I'm going to invest it in so-and-so. Well, that is really what savings is. It's it's basically all the things that we desire and need to live. So what we have right now is we have good lending. I would say good lending is when we have um, real, real, save commodity money, right, or sound money, and we have people um, in having a surplus and and they're able to lend it to someone else who's going to be innovative and try to come up with a new tool to make, make stuff easier, right. To increase production, they're going to lend it to them, right. And they're going to be able to, to, um, to eat and whatever, while they're building this new business. And then they'll, whenever they, um, come up with the thing and and start selling it, whatever it's, it's more productive. They're able to be more productive or they're, they're able to make other people more productive. They're able to then return the money right with plus the interest. Um, so, so that is what real lending looks like. What I mean to compare this to is that anytime you have money created out of thin air, right? Nothing. That's not considered real savings. It's just, um, inflation right it's just expansion of the money supply where the money itself isn't real where the money itself has no intrinsic value where the money itself is like what we have today where we have unbacked dollars right we just have these dollars that come into the market and when someone borrows or gets these new dollars they it's like the savings analogy that i explained doesn't work because this isn't there's nothing real backing this to support these people, right, that borrow this money that are, you know, supposedly being unproductive uh, while they're creating their new business. This money is created out of thin air. It doesn't represent any kind of real savings, any kind of real wealth, right? So what they're able to do, though, is claim some existing wealth or production or savings with these newly issued unbacked dollars, for themselves. And that causes, that will eventually cause everything else being equal, you know, um, that will eventually cause more um, pressure on on prices because more people are using these dollars to bid up real things. So that is the theft that's going on right now. And that is illegitimate uh, lending. That's illegitimate. And it's not, we are funding, we've been funding um, this country using, you know, newly printed money and the Bitcoiners get that right. I, you know, they, they definitely get that right. Um, but I think that they get something very crucial wrong. And that to me is that I view Bitcoin as something that's also intrinsically worthless and unbacked. And so, yes, you have a cap on this new thing that you create. And I realize there's proof of work, but that fundamentally doesn't give value to the coins themselves, right? That is just some, some kind of game, some kind of protocol that you have to go do in the corner to get your Bitcoin. But the Bitcoin itself doesn't store anything. It's just priced, but it's not valued. And it has no intrinsic value. And most Bitcoiners will make the argument that Bitcoin has no intrinsic value. So, but they, but they say, you know, that intrinsic value doesn't matter. Well, I think it does. Um, And, the Bitcoin itself is just like the newly created dollars out of thin air because they're not intrinsically worth anything. And if you, if you compare what happens today to get a Bitcoin, you think, oh, there's a lot of energy spent. But look at what it costs to get a Bitcoin when Bitcoin was just launched. It was virtually free because you could do it on your laptop. There wasn't a lot of interest. These things were created for free. These things are worth the same price as the Bitcoin mine today. Right? It's it's technically fungible. So, so this idea that, that that any kind of energy really went into the Bitcoin to create the Bitcoin, I think is just false. I mean it's artificially tied. It's artificially tied to the Bitcoin. P- humans put those two things together. So the Bitcoin is doesn't have any intrinsic value, just like the newly created dollars today have no intrinsic value. So Saif Adin's argument is that, well, Bitcoin is sound money just because we have a cap on it, just because we have um, said that there's only going to be 21 million of these things ever created, right? So that's the only difference fundamentally between the dollars that come into into existence, newly created, right, that are unbacked and are intrinsically worthless, and the Bitcoin that comes into existence through the Bitcoin mining reward, where the Bitcoin is unbacked where the Bitcoin is intrinsically worthless. So there's really no difference here. And the low, so the low time preference, back to the savings analogy, the low time preference. Bitcoiners think, well, we should have low time preference. And I think what, again, what I think what they mean by this is that we should save. We're not encouraged to save in dollars. Let's find an asset like Bitcoin that encourages people to save. Uh, but what is savings? So if Bitcoin is supposed to be money, just like gold is, was supposed to be money at one point, um, you don't invest in money to get rich, right? Unless you're trying to do some crazy stuff with Forex, right? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, you don't invest in money to get rich. You invest it just to hold your current purchasing power. The, so what what you do is you have some money, yes, set aside, but the other to, to to look for growth in your purchasing power, you're going to want to lend, right? You're going to want to invest in things, right, that you think are viable or that give you a return on your money. So the Bitcoiners, though, they say just hold Bitcoin. So if they think it's money, they think you should just hold it because, but, but money isn't supposed to grow your purchasing power. It's supposed to just hold on to it. But does Bitcoin act like that? It doesn't. It. it doesn't act like that. They treat it as an investment because they think it's going to go up in price, or they think that purchasing power will accumulate to them. The only way that happens is if more and more and more people hand over their, their dollars or their savings or their wealth right for in exchange for Bitcoin. So the only way that Bitcoiners make money is by basically stealing other people's purchasing power. Not through investing. This is the key. Most people will get Will grow their purchasing power through investments, right? Through, through, they have to take some risk. They have to invest in other people. And by investing in other people, they help grow the economy. You know, they help a business grow a viable business. Let's just say they actually help society. They, they, they have extra savings and they want to invest these savings into someone else who has a great idea who just, who needs to be supported, right? Who needs the funds in order to, to rearrange things in an entrepreneurial fashion uh, to, be, to increase production somehow. The Bitcoiners say, no, 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 we don't need to do that. We just need to get other people to, to... this is non-productive. Uh, this is a non-productive activity. So when they say you're saving in Bitcoin, if we just get everybody to save in Bitcoin, Okay, you could maybe say you're saving in something you think is money, and then you think is going to at least retain your purchasing power. But they don't want to just retain their purchasing power; they want it to grow. So they're asking you to invest in Bitcoin, but there's no way to invest in Bitcoin because nothing is being produced. They want you to just come into Bitcoin, and they want more and more people to come into Bitcoin. So they they love inflation, or they love more and more, you know, dollars or whatever chasing this the the fixed supply. They think it's going to be fixed, fixed supply of Bitcoin and just bidding it up. And this is how they plan to get rich. Um, and I can see why Bitcoiners don't like the concept of lending. Now, I think that I think that in this interview that, that Saif Adin had, um, he didn't flat out say he didn't like lending. He was just, I think, playing a game, sparring back and forth with ideas with this um, Islamic guy that, uh, you know, for his religion, uh, they don't believe in lending. Right. They think it's morally wrong. Um, and so, Saif was trying to, I think, throw Bitcoin into the conversation, saying, "Well, if you don't like lending, maybe you should buy Bitcoin." The guy did not like Bitcoin; he wasn't—he was not converted, right? But, but I think the point is, is that um, if you just want people to buy Bitcoin, if you just think Bitcoin is going to go up, why would you um, care about lending? You know, what? Why do you care about interest rates? Interest rates are are something that, um, you know, an authority figure, whether the Fed, right, or even a religious economist, right, shouldn't be setting. It should be up to the free market, meaning everyone sort of decides that what, what interest rate or what return they want on their money for lending it to someone. Uh, I think that what is an interest rate? An interest rate is lending, right? An interest rate is, is something that you get. Uh, you're going to lend your money to someone, and you expect to be compensated not only because you're letting them use it now, right? And so you you don't have you you don't have access to this, right? You're having to um, abstain is what word they use in this conversation. But not only that, but you also have risk of them not returning your money. So there's also there's the time preference. There's also the risk of it just not even being returned, or it being returned at a much later date. So um, I think that interest rates would be a natural part of any economy. I can't really see an argument for why they wouldn't be there um, because no one's going to just hand you money for free, right? I'm not talking about the artificial interest rates we have now. Of course, that's happening now because they just just printed and it's backed by nothing. Um, so, so they can just hand it over to whoever and it doesn't matter, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about real lending, where somebody really saved this 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 cash up or with their their wealth up, um, and then they lent it. So, you know, so some bitcoiners they believe in lending bitcoin and they believe in getting a return, you know. But this is often you often have to do this through a platform like a BlockFi centralized, like a Celsius, and and um, they really don't like the fact that you. Have to give your Bitcoin over to somebody else to lend it Now, you could lend it personally to somebody uh, without going through a middleman, but you know then you have to have like a personal contract drawn up and who's going to enforce this. So there's a little bit more um, risk. I mean, there's a lot more risk. What are you going to do if they don't pay you back? Well, you're going to have to go through the courts, and they may never give you your Bitcoin back. I mean, or it may just take five years, You or it may, it may the, the courts may say, well, we don't understand Bitcoin, so we're, we're never going to hand it to you. Uh, never going to make, enforce this rule. Now, I think you probably could get a court to understand it, but of course, it would you'd have to get a lawyer. So BlockFi of the world they make it easier, right? They make it easier if you want to lend your Bitcoin. Now it comes with some risks, yes, but it make it, they make it easier. Um, but there's a lot of Bitcoiners who don't want you to do that at all because they always want you to hold your own keys. So if you always are always hold, holding your own keys, there can never really be a central um, authority or central making it easy for you to be a lender, like to, to lend, right? So... Um, if you want Bitcoin to be money, in my opinion, you, you're going to have to be lending in it. You're going to have to be, there's going to have to be people, yes, saving in Bitcoin, but also willing to lend this Bitcoin, right, to other people who are going to be productive to fund real real businesses um, and, and for you to get your Bitcoin back with a return. The problem is, is that no one wants to really lend in Bitcoin because no one wants to be on the hook for having to pay you Bitcoin in the future because, Um, The price of Bitcoin, who knows where it's going to be. I mean, it could collapse and then you get a great deal, right? Because you get to buy Bitcoin on the cheap and give it back to them in the future. But it also could go up to like a million dollars coin. And then you'd be, it would be a terrible loan to have taken out, right? Um, So nobody really wants to take on this risk. I mean, maybe there's a few people out there, but nobody really wants this risk. And it's because it's so volatile. Um. So I realized that, that the dollar doesn't really have anything backing it either. And it's somewhat, you know, but purchasing power, yes, over the long term. Yes. And even over the short term, yes, it's losing like, you know, I don't know, 10% a year or whatever it's losing. And that is a lot. That's a lot. Yes. Um, but it doesn't have the wild swings that Bitcoin has. And I guess, you know, I don't know, I don't really know why that is the case, I. I take this theory from well one economist um, um, who says that the reason why people accept dollars today is because it was once backed by gold um, but that doesn't mean that that doesn't really give give reason why it's not as you know quite as volatile as Bitcoin I think it's just because there's there's much more of it it's it's the common medium of exchange we have you know we have they have monetary tools at the fed that's not working too well for them but at least, it, it's less volatile, let's say, than Bitcoin is. Bitcoin, not everybody's trading their Bitcoin, and the latest price is based off of whoever wants to sell it at the time, and you have to have a you know a buyer on that other side, you know, who has like dollars or whatever to buy it. So, Bitcoin is is extremely volatile. Um, I think because of the way it, it's very thinly traded. Um, And who knows how much of it's traded in in stablecoin versus real dollars. Um, But it's also in the hands of there's like there's some major players, right, that have a lot of Bitcoin um, and they're probably able to manipulate the price. So and who knows? I don't know. People say that it's also set at the futures market and I have no idea what goes on there. So I don't know how the prices are set, but for some reason, it's very, very volatile. And um, and I think that's mainly to do with the fact that it's unbacked and it could basically be trading at any price. It's based off of mood swings and, and momentum and how much, you know, cash is coming in, how much free money is basically getting printed out there. That includes tether too. Uh, but it mainly includes the federal reserve and how much, you know, free money they're willing to hand out um, at any one time. but, but, I, I, I want to understand this whole concept of low time preference a little bit better from the Bitcoiners perspective, because again, in my mind, they think it means, um, saving in Bitcoin, like delaying, um, gratification or, you know, saving in something right now, uh, that they think is going to be worth something in the future, more in the future, um, so if the dollar if the dollar wasn't being printed if if um supposedly we maybe we had high interest rates, which m- would mean in theory that um, that money if if you have higher interest rates, it usually means that money is is not cheap to borrow if you have low interest rates, it means money is cheap to borrow so higher interest rates encourage more saving because it encourages less borrowing so if you can get a higher return on your, your money, you're, you're more likely not willing to, uh, you're really, you're more likely willing to put it in the bank, sort of delay a future purchase, right. Or delay, um, borrowing at least. If you have low interest rates it encourages borrowing it encourages spending today it encourages no saving, uh, because you're not being paid to save. Um, so for the Bitcoiners, um, they sort of have this low time preference, where they want you to save, but saving would require, in theory, high interest rates, right? Saving, saving, and not borrowing would require higher interest rates, but we don't have higher interest rates with the dollar and Bitcoin's priced in dollars. Um, but they think that Bitcoin encourages savings because what? Because the price is, they think the price is going to go up. I think that's the only reason why they think Bitcoin encourages savings because there's no interest rate given to a Bitcoiner. There's no interest rate, there's no, nothing promised to a Bitcoiner. So why would you save in Bitcoin? I guess the answer to them is that they think in the future there's going to be a higher price for Bitcoin. And so if you delay your, your, your spending, if you buy that car later, not today, uh, the better place for you to put your cash today is in Bitcoin because Bitcoin is going to go up faster and faster than the car and you'll be able to buy not just one car into the future, but you'll be able to buy like five cars into the future with your Bitcoin if you save your Bitcoin now. Uh, but again, there's no interest rate that they would encourage you to to save a Bitcoin because there's no interest rate uh, really on the Bitcoin itself. Um, I mean, I guess you could go to BlockFi. What are their rates? I don't know, um, but they change them all the time. You can't lock in like a really long term rate. Uh, so. There's no one demanding Bitcoin right now as a money. So there's no one really offering a lot of interest on your Bitcoin. So the only reason why a Bitcoiner might want to hold Bitcoin. So there's difference. You, you Are you holding Bitcoin? You're not even lending Bitcoin. So here's another thing. Is that, you know, so there's no no real interest rate in Bitcoin. Um, you, you're not even, if you're not even lending your Bitcoin, why should you even expect there to be, any return, right? You're, you're not lending it. You're just hodling it. So there's that, there's also that, um, sort of argument. Uh, so, so why would, why would anyone think that you're just going to, um, make, make money or have, have your purchasing power increase if you're just, if there's just a bunch of Bitcoiners out there hodling the Bitcoin, not lending the Bitcoin, you know, they're just hodling it. They're just saving it for themselves. Um, I guess their, their idea is that if we take enough supply off the market uh, and then gin up enough demand, we can imp- increase the, the price of Bitcoin, right? And everybody can get can get rich. But this is this is sound like money to you? Like, does this sound like real money and, and you know real adoption, and or does it sound like a game that they're playing and, and it's just a get rich quick game? How can we manipulate other people into buying Bitcoin? How can we pretend like we're saving? when we're really just, just holding this thing off the market so that we can increase the price. How can we pretend like this is money if we're not really even uh, lending in Bitcoin for, for productive activities? If we're not really spending Bitcoin into the market, if, if nothing is priced in Bitcoin, uh, how, how can we just, just think that, um, how can we make people believe that Bitcoin is going to be the future. It's going to be money. If we're not even doing any of these things that that being a money would would like require of a money. Uh, so I think to be a money, you have to have lending in this thing. Like, yes, you have to have savings. And the Bitcoiners think that they've got this down, right? They think the hodling is saving. But you also have, and they, you know, I guess I'll give them this. They have a lot of hodlers out there. Right, a lot of people just just put in Bitcoin in the corner. Yes, they got that, but you also for money, you also need this thing to be being lent. Right, you need this thing to be lent. Um, If this is going to be the general medium of exchange, if if this is going to represent your claim, sort of maybe on on society or or goods and production, right, then um, you're going to have to have this thing also being being lent out. And again, I'm not talking about the uh, out, of, you know, out of thin air stuff from the Fed uh, where they just created out of nothing. I'm talking about like real people hodling Bitcoin that they, that they bought with their savings, right? Their they're real, they're real wealth, they stored their wealth in Bitcoin. Then they need to lend this Bitcoin out to people who are being productive, right? Not just, not just people who are shorting Bitcoin or people who are speculating on Bitcoin. You need to be lending out Bitcoin to actually real people in the real economy who are doing entrepreneurial things, who are building businesses, who are lifting living standards by being productive and creating something new that people want. Um, That's what Bitcoin needs to achieve. Right. And I don't see that. All I see is maybe some people lending Bitcoin out to speculators, right, or to other people who do funny things with Bitcoin uh, in the Bitcoin crypto trading market. But I don't see Bitcoin being lent out to real businesses. I don't see businesses pricing anything in Bitcoin, right? You know, except for this micro strategy company who's basically just holding Bitcoin too. But they're not doing anything productive with Bitcoin. They took out all, all these dollar loans. They're just sitting on a bunch of Bitcoin. <laughs> how, are they, how is this helping their business? How, how, how are they being more productive with Bitcoin? All, all they're done is gamble on Bitcoin and put it on their balance sheet. Bitcoin isn't enabling them to become a better company. Uh, they're just basically gambling. So, so again, like where is Bitcoin actually supporting the real economy if they think it's money? I I don't know. I mean, I have no idea. <laughs> um, so, Bitcoin may encourage this this low type time preference, this savings aspect, right? This this delaying of consumption because only because though, only because they think they're going to get rich, not because um, they um not because they're investing wisely, right? Not because they'd rather invest in a business than spend their own money now because they're looking for a return. No, they're not investing wisely um, they're not investing wisely. They're gambling, right? They're just, they're just speculating on the price of Bitcoin. So savings is supposed to grow an economy, not just be used to gamble on the future of how rich you might be. So the Bitcoiners, this is why I like to say Bitcoin isn't capitalism because when you're saving in Bitcoin or when you're hodling your Bitcoin, you're not being productive. I'm sorry, but you're just not, (laughs) you're not being productive you're not helping grow the economy. You're not helping an entrepreneur, right? Because you're not lending to them. Uh, you're not lending to them your Bitcoin. Uh, you're not, you're not lending to a real business. that's going to create like the next Amazon or the next, um, you know, Whole Foods or the next, uh, say cattle ranch or whatever, whatever thing that you could think of, right? Um, the next, um, I, Apple company, you're not doing that. All you're doing is investing, buying Bitcoin and holding it in the corner and just hoping and praying that Bitcoin is going to go up in price and more people will come in to your your artificially capped asset, buy a Bitcoin and make yourself uh, rich. So again, it's not capitalism because Bitcoin isn't productive. It doesn't produce anything. Um, All it is is a wealth transfer from people who come in at a later time than you do and hand you over their are their hard-earned dollars, or, or whatever, and they get and you give them the Bitcoin. That's all that that, that Bitcoin ever is going to be, and um, and real people, you know, even libertarians like myself can see this, and I guarantee you, the Democrats and the people on the left can see this, and they can feel it, and they feel that. The Bitcoiners didn't earn their wealth and they would be correct in that assumption because they didn't actually produce anything of value. They were able to con people into coming into Bitcoin. Not all of them are doing fraud, but a lot of them are. At least the people that talk about how Bitcoin is money, uh, they should, they instead, this is a fraud. If you say Bitcoin is money today, it's fundamentally not. And uh, you instead should be saying something like this. I wish Bitcoin could be money in the future. I wish it to be money and here are all the the reasons and how it could become money. Instead, they just spout out claims that are misrepresentative of what Bitcoin is. They say all kinds of crazy things. In my opinion, it's all deceptive in order to get more people into buying the asset. Um, For some people, it could just be a misunderstanding. Um, But there are people who have led this space and who are the thought leaders of this space who have purposely deceived, right? Purposely deceive people, and their main goal isn't just I have this theory about what Bitcoin is, and I'm like an academic with no, no bias here. No, their 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 whole thing is I'm heavily invested in Bitcoin. I've written books about Bitcoin. I've made my life about Bitcoin. I'm obviously entirely biased on the outcome of what I'm saying about Bitcoin, and I I have a clear agenda, a clear motive. To, um, to not be honest or at least to pretend like I agree with these ideas uh, and not be totally rigorous about um, about how I could be wrong or that I'm just hoping and praying or that I just think this way, but like it's not proved yet, right? But there's no evidence to support um, Bitcoiners' claims about what Bitcoin is. And this is the magical thinking. They're so consumed with this idea that Bitcoin is going to be the future, of money and of the world. Uh, but there's no evidence to back up any of their claims. Absolutely no evidence in my mind. Uh,